Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline. I am still on my holiday hiatus, but I wanted to bring you one of my favorite episodes from the year. The episode I recorded with Francisco Ramirez, who puts out a shingle in parks in New York City and offers sex advice to strangers. He is hilarious and very frank, um, but I thought also incredibly moving when talking about how much he's learned about being vulnerable and open and having these intimate conversations with strangers on the street. Uh, It's a really special show. And then there's a a great advice question at the end about how to deal with heartbreak, which is something that we can all relate to. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to the Yes Means Yes show, where the personal and the political get intimate. I'm your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and every other week I'm joined by a smart and provocative guest to discuss sex, sexuality, and or sex-related current events. And then we put our principles into practice with a real-world advice question. I found out about this week's guest on NPR, which doesn't happen a lot. Usually NPR isn't scooping me, I have to say. So I feel a little behind the times. But I was so intrigued when I heard the story about Francisco Ramirez, who has dedicated his career to responding to sexual health and public health needs of diverse communities all around the world. He his day job is working at the U.N. leading multilingual training, education and research efforts. He's also an MTV host and producer, but also and this is what the NPR story was about. um, He spends his evenings and weekends in New York offering free sex advice um, on relationships, sex and dating to passerbys in New York City parks, which I'm so interested in. Francisco, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome to Yes Means Yes. It is a pleasure to be here with you and to be able to talk to your, what I'm sure is a fantastically awesome audience. They are, if I do say so myself, a pretty great audience. Yes. (laughs) And I know they're going to want to hear all about you. So here we are. So I don't know where to start. I kind of want to maybe save the free sex advice thing like set a little ground for it okay so can we start actually by you telling me about what you do in your day job at the un 
Sure. Well, that's it's complicated. As many <laughs> Sat- Facebook status, it's complicated. <laughs> Pretty much.、Uh, it really depends on the day.、Uh, so you're correct. So I work、uh, a lot of my work is at the United Nations for the last ten years、uh, as a consultant. And so as a consultant, I can get pulled into different、uh, types of work in different countries. I am New York based, so I do a lot of work at headquarters. But I sometimes travel to different countries, and when I Whether I'm traveling or I'm here in New York,、uh, I'm working on everything from trainings on、uh, HIV or stigma or sexual health or gender diversity.、Uh, yesterday, I was delivering a、uh, workshop for the adolescent dependents of UN personnel in New York, so that was kind of a different. Uh, kind of thing. So you、uh, were doing a workshop specifically with the teenager, like the teenage children of UN staff. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so, <laughs> it was.、Uh, it was. Uh, uh, we're, we're sort of piloting some stuff and trying some things out that we've done in Geneva,、uh, seeing how it works out here. And、uh, so, really, every day is different. Sometimes it's more technical. You know, I'm sitting behind a computer and typing away. Other times, I'm. More of a spokesperson, or、uh, you know, writing、uh, policy, that kind of thing. It just it depends on the day, really. <laughs> And I'm assuming you wind up working with governments who are maybe not as、uh, sexually literate or liberated as you wish that they were. Yes, that <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> Which is most of them, possibly all of them. I don't know. <laughs> is any is any government that you've worked with doing really well? Um. Uh, I would.、Um, uh, I would say we all. <laughs> I'll be diplomatic, but I'd say we all have, we all really have room to grow, starting here in the United States, of course, obviously. <laughs> it's appropriate that you work for the UN and you're being diplomatic. It's a, it's almost meta.、Um, <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> so, I, I guess I'm really curious about the tension of sort of the ideal versus. The real in the work that you do, sort of like getting officials and governments to sort of take baby steps and and sort of I don't know how much do you feel like you're how do you navigate that compromise basically that tension yeah between what they between the tension between the, what they want and what they need or between like traditional health messages or. Yeah, between what they want and what they need, like what you can see, what they need, and but they both because of you know the cultural, the cultures in each of the the, the countries, but also political realities. Like、yeah. they they're dealing with things that are that mean that you're they're never going to get to that, nor not anytime soon going to get to the ideal that you know that they need. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it, I always look at at common ground. That's that's so much of my work、uh, to establish a good, you know, rapport with whoever it is, whether it's an individual. And I think actually, now that I'm thinking of this, I think this extends to,、uh, you know, individual relation, you know, relationships that people have、um, with folks that they're dating, for example. You know, like where, you know, where do we align?、Um, and I think that's especially important when I'm, you know, working, you know, with governments or different ministries of health, whatever it is. Because、uh, there can really be that the, the tension is sort of what's highlighted often. You know, it comes to the surface quite quickly.、Uh, you know, depending depending on how we how we handle it. So I try to 
try to acknowledge that um, and say, listen, I know, you know, that, that you might have had this experience, you know, that, that this might look like your focus, you know, have you, have you branched out to consider other things? Have, have you thought about, you know, intimate per, uh, partner violence in, in, in addition to, you know, uh, the work that you're doing here on HIV or whatever it may be, or, you know, really addressing the issue that you're having in your country around, uh, you know, uh, hatred, you know, stigma towards sex workers or, uh, you know, uh, gender diversity or, you know, people who are non-heterosexual. Uh, so I really try, the work is is essentially a very carefully orchestrated conversation around, you know, what do they notice? And then, uh, you know, what do I notice? And, and when I talk about what I notice, I try to bring in the voices of others uh, so that it's not just mine. But I do have the luxury of being a consultant where I can where I don't have to necessarily, I can sort of be a little more bold, if you will, at times. Right, because you're not speaking for the UN directly. Correct. They can, they can you can play good cop, bad cop. Exactly. Sort of, yeah. yeah. They can, and I'm happy to have the UN blame <laughs> whatever they want on this, you know, consultant going rogue. That Not that I really go that rogue, but, you know, if I, if I say something that feels a little, you know, um, out, outside of the box, I mean, I, what, what, what comes up for me, we were just having a discussion about this at work the other day, is a lot of times we are in different places, and this includes the United States, uh, where we say, this could never be done, given <sighs> this cultural, you know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, lattice or whatever it may be, you know, that, that, that people are not ready for this, nobody would be able to hear this. Uh, and so it's important for me to, to hear that and acknowledge that. And also a lot of my job um, at the UN specifically around around these kinds of issues is pushing ourselves a little bit. I uh, love that. I hate that sort of, it, this yeah. would be the ideal, but it can't be done. So we yeah. just throw up our hands. I feel yeah. that way about uh, the U.S. approach to sex ed in particular, which I rant on about, you know, that there's so much agreement among sex educators about what a really productive, pleasure-based sex ed curriculum would look like. And yeah. the, and then and then you get to the end of that description and people say, but it can't be done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, so what we, what we did in this meeting was we said, we specifically made a list of all of the things that people in, in our field had said, you know, couldn't be done, you know, or, or trainings that couldn't be uh, executed for whatever reason. Can you give me some for examples? Yeah, like you know that that for example, we wouldn't be able to have people of different genders in the same room talking about uh, sexuality or watching a condom demonstration, or we wouldn't be able to have condoms in the workplace. Um, that that would sort of cause upheaval and you know the the destruction of whatever. <laughs> um, you know, and then, you know, we created this list and then we said, no, look, you know, all these things have happened and the sky has not fallen. And yes, there are going to be some people who feel a little uncomfortable about that. And that is absolutely okay. And we'll acknowledge their discomfort and, you know, recognize that everyone just comes from a different place. But we underline it and say, this is where we absolutely need to go. And there's no, you know, a lot of our work is just kind of like, sticking something in this you know drawing the line in the sand and say this is the absolute of of what you know this organization or what your personnel or what these you know young people or whatever the population is this is what they absolutely need and you know that's sort of what it comes down to so we talk about common ground but eventually 
we have to draw this this really you know clear line. If these people need this information, they need these tools, they need these resources, and that's that's sort of the bottom line. Have you ever created or averted an in- international incident? Uh, <laughs> oh, just in airports with. <laughs> With, of course, everything that's in my bag. You know, sometimes when I travel to certain countries. Oh, yeah. I have tons and tons of supplies, not just for me, but, you know, we they'll load me up with all sorts of things to be, you know, like, well, while you're in this region of the world, could you drop off, you know, all of these, uh, you know, female demonstrators or uh, whatever it may be, you know, condom demonstrators. And that that will raise eyes in airports, uh, security, or when they're kind of falling out of my bag or whatever. Have you ever had, like, a dicey incident where you were a little worried things weren't going to go well? At, at the airport? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm on a list. I swear to you I'm on a list. Every time I come back to JFK, I not every time, but a lot of the times... Well, I always get diverted to this secondary. They have a new secondary line. I get divided, diverted to the secondary line. And I've actually gone into the room. There's the, I don't know if you know about the room in JFK or in different airports, but like when you go through uh, customs, you know, you go through the whole, the whole bit. And then, you know, generally they say, okay, great, you can go through. But there's a few select people that they send to this room. They're supposed to be random, right? No, 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 no. It's not supposed to be random. They, they're, they're following up on something. They, they don't oh. not know the guys are being random. But they don't tell you what it is that's been flagged, right? Um, so I'm consistently flagged, and I don't know. I worked in Cuba. I don't know if that's part of it. I have no idea. But at some point, my travels and something has led me to be flagged. That's, like, so per- – you know, I, when I was asking the question, I was, like, figuring that you were in some incredibly conservative – country far from here right like but of course no of course the the incredibly conservative country that's fucking with you is the united states so um i stand absolutely corrected that sounds like a drag man but the last thing you want when you're on the tail end of an international flight is like someone harassing you about the dildos in your bag exactly i get pretty defiant actually you should see because then of course you know they're asking all these questions of like you know who's your Who's your hero in this country and that sort of thing? What? Oh, yeah. I, I get asked all kinds of questions. And I'm like, Pancho Villa. Or like, you know, what? like, Rigoberta Menchu or something like that. And they're like, no, in this country. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I, you know, this, I, I will not answer this question. I, I you know, I have, I have U.S. heroes. But I'm telling you who, like, I'm telling you some examples of heroes. And if my heroes, are, you know, don't suffice. Oh, my God. You know, I got harassed like that once in the Tel Aviv airport where they were asking me about where I go to temple and things. But again, I think of that as something that other countries do. Yeah. Oh, right. So they're asking you to prove that you're like a loyal, like that you're loyal to the U.S. in some way. I have no idea. Sometimes I think it's sometimes it's a lot about where I live in New York. I think it's I, I, I don't know if it's an immigration thing where they think that, you know, that there's sort of question of my you know, citizenship status or if it's some allegiance thing. I have no idea. Doesn't the UN give you some sort of protection here? You have a laissez-passer, which uh, is sort of, you know, allows you to bypass all sorts of things if you're a UN staff. And as a consultant, I sometimes go in the UN line, but in the US, I don't go in the uh, line. Yeah. Wow. So the, you're like a... Out on Harrow, you're like Indiana Jones of sex education, basically. <laughs> I guess. With a bag of, like, tricks and condoms. And- yes, exactly. I like it. I'm picturing you with, like, a fedora and a whip. Yeah. 
going on dashing adventures and escaping the authorities and things like that. <laughs> yes. So how does one, how did you, I, I, I know I'm saving the best for last because I want to ask you a hundred questions about the Free Sex Advice Project. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but how did you tell me about your background? Like, did you always know you wanted to be a swashbuckling sex educator or like how, how did it get to this point, Francisco? <laughs> uh, it, it, it got to this point, I think, quietly over time. I mean, I started about 20 years ago um, in the field. But before that, when I was, you know, 15 or 16 and, you know, queer questioning or whatever I was at that time, uh, you know, I, like many young people, had suicidal ideations. I was, you know, being harassed and bullied and threats of violence and, and all of that, death threats, et cetera, at school. And, um, and you know, so it, it kind of led me to just kind of find my own, I don't know, escape. And the escape was hanging out in San Francisco and, like, walking around, you know, the Castro and whatever, like trying to pick up the hanky code and failing miserably. Um, right, because you couldn't look it up on the internet 20 years ago. No, you couldn't. You totally couldn't. And I was like, yellow does not mean what I thought yellow meant. <laughs> what did you think yellow meant? I, 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 I can't remember. I just that remember. you were cheerful? <laughs> <laughs> sunny days. Sleep in the cloud. cloud yes, away. I want to have sex on a sunny day. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, it, it, what I what I noticed in sort of connecting with other people who were experiencing the same thing a- around that time uh, was that we were all being hated on because of our sexual orientation. And then, as I or perceived sexual orientation, as I kind of talked about these things with other people, like a lot of my female friends um, at the time, I realized how many, how much they were being hated on for all sorts of reasons. I mean, just slut shaming to start, right? But it really just led me to believe, wait, there's something naturally happening in all of us and people are shitting on us nonstop constantly and it's, you know, causing actual major harm and it's a harm that's not being addressed. I mean, thankfully now we're, we're addressing it in, in much greater ways, but, but back then I felt like we weren't. And so that's what really was the, the driving force to get me to get started in HIV and sexuality education. So you kind of became the hero that you needed back then. Oh, yeah, I guess so. That's sweet to hear. Or it's to think of. Yeah, I guess so. I love that. Oh my gosh, I'm going to take that to my therapist. Thank you. Absolutely. It's free. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I think we many of us do that mm. in helping fields. Like, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, I feel like I'm doing some of that as well. Yeah. With my work is sort of like, this is what I wished had existed. So I'm making it exist. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's, it's really, un- it's, easier perhaps always to understand someone's needs when when the needs are your own and you know it's important obviously to be open to others needs as we go along with the cause and causes but i guess maybe a lot of it does come back to what what do we know firsthand right as a starting point obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. we have to always be opening up and learning about um all the stuff we don't understand but yeah. but in terms of getting that fire in the belly it's often really personal i think mm-hmm. Yeah. So you did you go study uh, HIV and human sexuality undergraduate or like? I studied Chinese. 
Yeah. Like you do. Exactly. Well, at least you'll be ready for our new overlords. Yeah. Well, well, but I switched to uh, I switched to Portuguese and Spanish at the last moment after a couple of years of studying Mandarin. Um, so yeah, but I was working because I was convinced that I was going to be a translator or an interpreter. Oh, um, yeah. So I was really in that that path, um, and then. But in meanwhile, I was working at the the health services center at Berkeley uh, to to you know address all sorts of sexual health needs and and then you know the two kind of between the two I I still love interpreting I get to interpret once in a while or translate and I love it uh, but the sex went out what can I say Well, it does that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, so I'm assuming you got some sort of an advanced degree. Is that true? Yes, yeah, and then I later went to Columbia uh, Mailman School of Public Health and got my Master's in Public Health with a focus on sexuality and health um, about maybe six years ago or so. Got it. Yeah. All right, I can wait no longer. (laughs) At what point did you start, did you think, working at the UN as a swashbuckling, world-traveling sex educator and consultant is not enough what I really need to do is put out a shingle and a couple of chairs in Union Square and answer random strangers' sex advice questions. Yeah. Uh, I like quirky things, first of all, just to be clear. And But but more than that, I was frustrated. You know, I people ask me a lot or sometimes I feel like in our conversations in public health and sexuality and sexual health, we talk a lot about, you know, public health-based work or, or premises and uh, or premise and then a pleasure-based mm-hmm. focus or, or direction. And and there's such a tension and sort of a chasm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there is. And it's really frustrating. And it, it, it's, and they're, to me, they're just so, at least in my head, I, I just put them in the same buckets. And I really, you know, a lot of the times I just don't care about sort of their separation and I get frustrated. And, and I found myself in, in a lot of my work um, not uh, not even necessarily specifically at the UN because at that point I was I was in grad school when I was uh, when I started free advice uh, so I was working but was sort of working less on my different different projects but you know I noticed that over the years I would have really engaging conversations with people about their dating life about their hookup dramas about you know, anatomy questions and whatever these things were. And then at some point we would be cut off by something. The bell would ring. Um, we would have to go into their, you know, the, their test, whatever their test was, you know, some kind of HIV test, mm-hmm. or, test or their results or the research study that it was, you know, that the research questions that I had to ask them or whatever it was. And um, I mean, I understand why all of those things exist, but I just said, I'm... Not through with that, but I need something more to sort of survive and feel fulfilled. And so it felt like it felt like this would be this would be a place to really reach people exactly where they're at, like literally, you know, geographically, and then with whatever's on their mind. And and that's surprising to some people that they can really go wherever they want in the conversations. But it really was born out of this concept that you know you have a right to live the sexual life that you need to live for yourself. And I am privileged and fortunate to have, you know, energy and training and all, you know, and, and, and you know, just to have sort of desire to, to work around this and, and help myself and others around this. And, uh, 
And and so, you know, you let's let's make that happen for you on your terms. It's so brave, like sitting down because you have no idea who's going to sit in front of you and what they're going to want to talk about. Yeah. I think, you know, I think about it like I think about ever since I heard the story, I was like, mm. what would it be like to do that? And it feels something about it feels unnerving to me. Like, mm. I don't know if I'm going to be prepared to hear everything that sits down in front of me. Yeah. Do you ever feel like that? Um, yes and no. It, mostly no, in the sense that... Not even in the beginning? Oh, in the, oh gosh, in the beginning? Absolutely. <laughs> in the beginning, I was terrified. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh gosh, in the beginning, well, the real story is that I had the idea, I think, in 2004 or five, and uh, I think I even blogged about it back when I had a blog in 2004 for a minute. And I was like, I'm going to do this really cool thing. And... Uh, and then I I totally didn't do anything. I I did things about it, but on my on my terms and at my pace. So one year, for example, I bought the chairs off of Craigslist, which is the same chairs I still use. One, you know, the next year, but I got scared and I was like, so you just bought the chairs and stashed them in your apartment? Yes, for years between you know from this apartment to the next apartment, etc. And then I bought the sign, didn't do anything with it. You know, um, I had consultations with the lawyer and thought about how to go about it ethically with, with different educators and whatnot, but still didn't do anything until I got really fed up. And I think it was also being in grad school that sort of, you know, I, just talking about sort of interventions, you know, all day long and reading about it. I just said, I am going to do this on my own terms right now. <laughs> so it took you literally years from having the idea to actually the first time you set out your sign and your chairs on the street. Yeah, three or four years. Wow, okay. That makes me feel validated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you did that, and what was that first time like? Oh, gosh, I'll never forget it. Uh, I was terrified. I went to the small corner, the northeast corner of Washington Square Park that doesn't get a ton of traffic, and um, like was basically under a tree branch. I was so scared. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, maybe come by or maybe just walk by me. Exactly. I was like, just look at me and then go away. I can't, you know, I can't handle this. I couldn't even turn the sign around. I had to call my friend in uh, North Carolina. I was like, give me the strength to do this. Help me, like, turn around the sign. She's like, we'll talk. She's like, put your hand on the sign. Turn Aww. it around. Breathe, et cetera. I was terrified. Yeah. Um, and the first, the second person who came by, the first the first group of, of folks who came by, it was an interesting conversation. The second one, I just started, she had a really, like, a serious conversation or question. It wasn't too like personal was about like sex texting and when's, you know, uh, you know, how to respond to text appropriately and whatnot. But I started smiling and almost, it looked like I was almost laughing and she, I felt really bad. Cause she's like, why are you, why are you oh. laughing? This isn't funny. I was like, I'm just happy. <laughs> and, uh, but I was afraid to tell her that that was my first time. Right. You know, you know, first times or whatever, but, you know, because I, I wanted to feel like a pro at this, even though I totally wasn't at all. Which I'm sure you would have advice to give someone who said that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, yeah. Oh, but that okay. feeling is super real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I really quickly, I got over that. And I think any, m- many people would. And, and I, what you said kind of struck me about, you know, you sit down and or somebody sits down, you never know what on earth they could present with. And, and it's, it's true. Like, you know, it's, it's they could bring anything, but in some ways, it's kind of like life. Like you, you walk out the door, and you actually you have no idea what's going to happen. You know, from like street harassment to right. like you know a thunderstorm to you know uh, 
to good news, to bad news, whatever it may be. There's so many things that can just happen unexpectedly without sort of our, you know, you know, with, without our hands necessarily being in it and, and, uh, or, you know, orchestrating it in some way. And that's kind of like what this is. And so if, like, you know, if I'm prepared enough for life, I'm prepared enough for this. <laughs> it's like a spiritual practice. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me some of your more memorable encounters, if you would. Oh yeah, there's been so many. Um, let's see. I there's so many. There's there's a woman. One of my first happy moments was a woman I wrote years ago a sex advice column at UC Berkeley on rimming. It was the first. It was the first column or the first thing I'd ever written on sex actually ever in 2000 or no 90. I have no idea, 97 or 8, something like that. And uh, and she found me, she, you know, happened upon me, and she told me that sort of the, the, the column, but specifically that, changed her life. And she's not only, like, you know, happy in relationships, but she's, like, a, you know, professional rimmer or whatever she called herself. I, I can't remember. <laughs> um, but she was, you know, grew up really conservative. Because um, that was the first one I remember. But, you know, there's been just so many... Um, there's, you know, women, I was uh, out there with Joan Price, uh, who works on senior sex a lot recently. And there was, um, you know, people of all ages, you know, people in their 70s and 80s coming to to ask questions about, you know, how does kind of sex change over the years? Mm. And it's, there's, I, what I think is hard for me to pull out is kind of like one, one sort of specific question. But for me, it's more like the, the thread of questions of people opening up about things that they've never shared about. I mean, people on a regular basis sit down in the chair and tear up or just bawl, you know? And sometimes they're doing it, you know, and they, they intended to do it. They're almost doing it kind of like they, they, you know, they almost plan to sort of have that catharsis and other times they're doing it behind, you know, big bug sunglasses, you know, and they don't want people to see. Um, that's, that's sort of the interesting thread of it for me. Um, it's sometimes less about, you know, the, the juicy question, but more about how deep people are just willing to go off, off the bat. Or possibly even, you know, that they're desperate for a place to go that deep, right? That there aren't enough places to, where that space can be held. Yeah. I mean, and, and for like all walks, you know, like it, it's, there are so many, for example, you know, heterosexual identified, you know, men who sit in the chair who are just, you know, tearing up about something that they've never shared. Um, it would, you know, I, I, to me, to me still feels surprising in a way after all these years. Uh, and it's exactly, I think what you said that people just don't have these spaces. Well, I think it's really beautiful that you're making those spaces. <laughs> do you, what do you learn i mean i i can only imagine that you learn as much as you offer from this kind of an exchange what are you what are you getting out of it uh it's there's something it's when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's, there's something about the joy of creating something from start to finish that I'm able to see in real time. You know, I work mm. when I'm creating videos or whatnot, there's, you know, you're storyboarding or conceptualizing, you're thinking about advertisers, you're doing all these things. Uh, but here it's just, there's this immediacy. And so, um, you know, more than anything, I think it allows me, uh, the, the gives me the ability to, to really feel compassion in a way that I never thought I could. Um, like it's yeah even like thinking about it, like now I almost well up because it's the, the, the stories that people walk around with um, it to have them sort of all live in a in a bowl like in my head mm-hmm. um, is is a lot but also it's 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 really gratifying there's just something I feel really honored I think I think what I get out of it is 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 just gratitude for this is going to sound corny, but humanity or, um, this you know, is a, a safe space for corny. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm I, corny as hell. I love it. You know, and, and, you know, gratitude for people's courage. And I think that, you know, another thing I get out of it is just people's courage feeds me to be more badass and, and brave, hopefully in my work. Uh, so I think in, in a lot of ways we egg each other on to mm. to test ourselves and, and, and our limits. Do people ever tell you horrible things like that they've done horrible things? Yes. 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 I feel like that would be the hardest part for me is how do you hold space for that person? Yeah. I love. Yeah. It's, yeah. Because obviously, to be clear, I love when somebody, come, you know, sits down and somebody's done them wrong and we have, you know, a 10 minute like, oh, my goodness, can you believe? Right. What? Who on earth would, you know, dare do that? But and sometimes I have the person sit down and they're the ones essentially who committed the violation or whatever it is um, of all sorts, you know, of all sorts, you know, from Instagram wars to, you know, thing, you know, worse. Um, and, uh, and I think there, you know, like that's, that's sort of quite honestly, one of the most, uh, revealing parts of the work because I feel like in public health when I address misogyny or when I address you know gender inequities or whatever it may be or you know homophobia or something like that it's really easy for me to sort of you know use broad brushes and talk about Mm -hmm. this thing that we sort of need to overcome but when I have an individual in front of me who I've quite honestly developed some kind of connection with you know already um, I can't help but see their humanity behind what they're saying um, so it's really afforded me the ability to you know, look at somebody's story and say, sometimes in my head and sometimes say to them, you know, huh, okay, so it sounds like your upbringing has led you to this. Or it sounds like that, you know, your education or your understanding of, 
of the world is this? You know, is there is there some other way to to think about this, or what? You know, how do you think that this works and doesn't work for you? Uh, it's a fine it's a fine line and something difficult. I've never really been. The only times I'm really offended, or not even, but if somebody is like attacking me, which happens once in a while. Um, like they come and say nasty things to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens sometimes. You know, there's all sorts of people. Sure. There. Um, yeah, somebody's told me. I don't remember why. Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody was homophobic earlier in the spring. It was like, in other circumstances, if there weren't people around on the street, I would kill you right now. And I was like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, and you know that was a conversation. You know, and and still, even with that lovely man, uh, <laughs> you know, I still still engaged with them. I wasn't necessarily overjoyed to be engaging with them. So you don't I, tell him, get out of my chair. No, no. I, I held the space and, 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 you know, I, I was thinking about sort of my own personal safety. It was, I don't know, the middle of the night and whatnot. Um, but he, so I, yeah, I was thinking, don't start anything like live. Right. <laughs> so, um, but but more than anything, I thought let's just let's see if we can sort of uncover anything about his, um, you know, experience with uh, gay people or you know non heterosexual people, whatever it is. Um, sadly, we didn't get too far; mm-hmm. <laughs> not much was accomplished. Um, but but it was still important for me. I don't. I, I have to think about why, but it was still important for me to to sort of give him the the decency of you know of, of a real conversation. Wow. Um, yeah, I, that is almost unbearably generous of you. <laughs> also, nobody else was in line. <laughs> <laughs> Still in all. Is there often a line? Uh, yeah, it depends on the time of day or the, just how things go. Yeah, a lot of times there's a line. Um, sometimes I have someone helping out to manage that. Sometimes it's just me kind of saying, who's next? And people kind of, you know policing that on their own do you kind of have a reputation at this point like people come seek you out uh yeah definitely people will you know either find me on social media or you know look at my twitter see when i'm when i'm going to be there next uh other times people will walk by and you know i think over over time and you know with exposure here and there that people have heard about it but it's really i think people people are only really sold usually until they you know if, if they've heard me speak somewhere, say, for example, on this, or oftentimes when they've sat down to converse with me, just because it's such an odd, you know, premise that people don't know what to expect. They think, you know, they think that we're secretly shooting and that there's cameras somewhere or, you know, all sorts of things. Um, but, you know, soon after, like a minute or two, they realize, oh, wait, I can actually ask anything I want. Right. This is the real thing. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, it's real. Whatever it is, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty unusual to encounter. Mm. I think a lot of the times when you're walking through the park and you see people with a sign up or sort of a station set up, they're trying to sell you something or hustle you for a signature or like there's an agenda more, yeah. more than I'm sitting here and want to help you. Yeah. I um, I have two signs. I had like the 1.0 and the 2.0 and I've mostly used 2.0. 1.0 was handwritten and then... Or, you know, done with like markers, and then it was a windy day, and it was by the fountain in Washington Square Park, and it was like then it looked like the Munsters writing or whatever. So we got rid of that. Um, but the two point is printed, and some of the comments have been: it looks like maybe you're part of a religion, or you're trying to sell something, or you want me to join on some cause. Uh, so I have a master plan for a three point I want to do like 
a beautiful sign with like those kind of you know colorful um, magnet letter magnets that you put on a refrigerator, for example. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I think that would be nice and sort of in between, you know, formal and informal. Right. Legible, writing. but more it's, homemade feeling. Yeah. And not destroyable by rain. Which seems important in your line of work. Yeah. I am just in awe. I'm so curious. Is it possible for someone like me to come sit and with you sometime? Are you kidding? Absolutely. I would I- love that. I would lose my mind if you came to New York and, you know, sat with me to do this. I've had um, people over the years do this. A lot of um, sex workers or um, um, people in the sex industry, porn actors, whoever it is, have, been, have also come out. Um, and it's it's a hoot. It's a hoot. And every day is different. Uh, you just, like you said, you just don't know what to expect. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I mean, quite honestly, my voice is just one, you know, and I've gotten, I've gotten better necessarily. I, I think I've gotten get, better at giving people what they want, which a lot of people in this, in the advice business, if you will, want some clear, you know, you know, definite, you know. You uh, should do X and not Y. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, people don't hear, well, things are difficult and this is a complex situation and maybe this, they don't want that. Right. So. Uh, you know, sometimes I experiment with being a little more, I don't know, direct, you know, giving more direction, I guess. Um, so having somebody else to tag team with, it makes it really nice because my direction is just my random direction. <laughs> right. And we can sort of workshop it more together. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of which, we should probably make space for the advice question. But before we do that, um, do you have a question to put to our listeners so they can continue the conversation uh, online after the show is over. I do. I, this is inspired. This question is inspired by summer. And by the time of year that we all, you know, we're wearing less clothes, mm-hmm. we're having more fun. We're like, you know, it's all about like, kind of for me, like put, you know, uh, summer Fridays and all this, just having pleasure. Right. So here we go. Here's the question. What or who do you need to cut from your life? to more wholly embrace your sexuality? Ooh, mm. that's a question. <laughs> I Hopefully, love it. I used cut because it was strong, right? Cut is strong. <laughs> I like what or who, right? It's not always a person. Sometimes it's a dynamic or some tape that's been playing in your head for 20 years or um, an institution or, you know, those sorts of things. But yeah. Oh, I love that. Say it again. What or who do you need to cut from your life to more wholly embrace your sexuality. Okay. Yeah. I want to hear from you listeners. Use the hashtag YMY on Twitter, as in yes means yes. Uh, you can also uh, mention at mention us so that we uh, will see it directly in our mentions, although I'll be definitely ma- monitoring the hashtag as well. I'm at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. Where are you on Twitter? At Francisco NYC. Francisco NYC. Excellent. Um, And if you don't want to chat on Twitter, you can also just email your answer to me at YMY at JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. And I, you know, would love to hear from you whether or not you want to talk about it publicly. I think that is such a great question. We could all use to spend a little time with that question. Right. (laughs) Mine, by the way, I thought of it. Yeah. (laughs) Whenever the question. Um, what I need to cut from my life 
to wholly embrace my sexuality mirrors mirrors that was me snapping after do you hear the snap yeah. yes yes that's all i'm saying i have to think <laughs> about mine Mm. My my sort of initial pat response is like I've already done that. Like oh, I've cut all that stuff, but I bet there's still something. We're all works in progress. Yeah, the dust always settles in the house, and you can always you know swipe some pledge on some on some kind of furniture and get a new you know rebuff. So what I'll do is by the time this airs, uh, I will I will also have my own answer that I'll share on Twitter. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So do you want to help somebody out? It sounds like you do. That's sort of almost a rhetorical question with you. (laughs) Let's bring it. Bring it. Excellent. Okay. So this uh, advice question comes from scarleteen.com, an amazing resource for uh, young people and around sexuality, although young people of all ages could really benefit from reading Scarleteen as well. Um, So the... Advice seeker, I don't have a name for this person. She says, I need some serious relationship advice. I have a boyfriend for almost two years. We will call him James. I'm guessing that's not his name. Anyway, about halfway through last year, James and I started to experience more sexual things than just making out, e.g. dry humping, manual sex, phone sex, etc. We just never went so far as to have penetrative sex because we both believe in saving ourselves until marriage. I can safely say we both enjoyed these activities. One day he came over to my house and in the heat of the moment, we ended up naked together, which had never happened before, and we had some intense foreplay. We stopped ourselves before going any further. After this had happened, we decided that it was a little bit far for our comfort zone and we wouldn't do it again. We had a very long conversation about it. He was very awkward after this. He sort of avoided me and ignored my texts and at school. I tried to talk to him about it, but he just sort of shut me off. Mm. He ended up telling his very religious parents what we had done and they have banned him from seeing me slash talking to me. He overlooks me now. It's like I never existed to him. I don't know what to do about it because I thought we had a very close bond. We were each each other's first kiss and I honestly thought we could deal with this together. I don't understand why he told his parents about our private stuff. I'm seriously lost without him. I wanted to try and work through this together, but he won't give me the chance. I've also talked to and apologized to his parents for going too far. I miss him. I don't know if I should move on or not. Help. It's been a month since we last talked. Wow. I know. I mean, I just honestly want to give you a hug, <laughs> letter writer. Um, that's first of all. It sounds like you're in a lot of pain. Um, and I just want, I don't know, I want you to know that's coming through loud and clear and you don't deserve to be in this much pain. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, I, I would also extend a consensual hug if you would accept it or would be interested in it because, um, I mean, just, just even from the way that the, the letter is formulated, it sounds so, you know, clear that, that she, that they were really digging each other. And it sounds like a really nice relationship. And two years. Yeah. Two years is a long time. To just suddenly ghost. Like. It's too much. It's man. I had a relationship end like that once, not quite like that, but but, like, we had been together, like, two years. It started long distance for the first year. Like, we would fly back and forth to see each other. And then he moved to Boston so that we could be together. And then, like, 
two years into the relationship, just on like a random Thursday, he, he was completely out of the blue, was like, I'm leaving you. Mm. So at least there were, you know, it wasn't like literally stopping speaking to me. But man, I don't know anything that hurts emotionally quite like that. Yeah, I mean, and it, what's hard is like, you know, the the question of her not understanding why it, why it happened that way. I, I don't know why it happened that way either. You know, I can, can, we can guess. Right. And I'm, and I'm sure that she has theories too. Yeah. But the not knowing can be so hard. Not knowing is, it feels like, I want to say the worst. Not knowing can be the worst. I, you know, when, when things are unresolved around, especially around intimate things like this, it, it, sometimes, you know, our heart just feels like it's an ellipses that like sort of doesn't end. And there's no, there's no end to the sentence. You're just sort of waiting and turning page after page hoping that there's something that will come. And, you know, I, I really, I'm not Nostradamus, I can't tell the future, but, you know, a, a month is, is a while for him to sort of have been quiet, and that's a, a lot of time to endure, and it may be, you know, it may be the case that this person never kind of responds. Um, but I do have, I have, I have a trick that may or may not work Yeah. for, for this person. Um, this is just something I personally do all the time. I, because uh, I, I date around a lot. Um, and I have lots of ellipses at the end of my, mm. at the end of my affairs, uh, sometimes. And, um, I do two things that are sort of related. One is I write my own kind of end to the story. That is to say, I write my own story. And sometimes I do this quite literally. I will take a page on Evernote or whatever it is, or, you know, on pen and paper, and I'll essentially write down what happened. And it's a nice way of me validating the whole experience, validating what I felt, and sort of seeing the whole thing for what it was. So here I can't obviously write write this for, for this for this woman, but maybe it's something like you know, um, we had a lovely re- relationship for a couple of years. We were both you know on the same level in a lot of ways, and then this thing happened, and he got a little you know weird or whatever. We're gonna. You know, I, I actually don't want to kind of ascribe like words to it exactly because it's, it's her experience, but. Um, you know, then this thing happened and he had this specific reaction. And then here's where you get to, for your own sake, you can agree with me or not, Jacqueline, but I sometimes like to make up a reason sometimes, you know, or or just, just come up with like the most probable reason. Right. And, and, and I kind of sign off on that as the, yeah, that's what happened because it's a way of putting my mind to rest in the, at night. So when I'm wondering, gosh, what happened? I go back to my, you know, made up reason, which is, oh, you know, his parents were really whatever, or, you know, he, he really loved me, but this was, you know, just, he just had some tipping point or whatever, who knows what it is. But, um, that's, that's one thing I do. And the other thing, the second part two of that essentially is when things feel unfinished or undone somehow, I will either literally take that piece of paper and put it in a box or what I usually do is I kind of more, this will, at a later stage, this is, this is sort of after you've written your, your letter, Mm -hmm. your story ending, whatever it is. I envision wrapping it up in a box with a beautiful bow and putting it on a shelf that I can access whenever I want to. Uh, and the nice thing is there, like with all memories and experiences, uh, it's there. We can keep it in our house if we want to. Um, we can access it if, if it, if the time calls and in some ways, there's some beautiful parts to it, right? Because it's part of our, our life's experience. So if you want to put it in a beautiful box, you can. If you want to sort of 
invention that you're putting it in the back of a closet or just, you know, putting it in storage or or sending it out to sea, whatever it is. But I, Or I, lighting it on fire. Lighting it? That sounds even better. <laughs> I mean, I do think, I mean, I think that all of that sounds really great. I, I think that one of the things that I want to say is mm. you have to, to the, to our letter writer, you have to assume it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, it sounds to me in the question like you're asking for advice about how to make him engage with you and how to recover the relationship. Mm. And I, I really think at this point you have to assume it's over. It may someday, who knows, life is long and strange, right? Like, I can't, but like, signs point to it's over. And that's horrible and it's hard. But I do think what I like about your advice is like, some kind of ritual of grieving, of closure, um, whatever that is. If you have friends or family who might want to help you with that ritual, that can be great. Um, But whatever you need to do to accept that for now, in this moment, this is over and that's horrible and he handled it. I absolutely feel comfortable saying he handled it really badly for whatever yeah. reason. Um, it's abrupt. It's not fair. Yeah. Um, I'm worried about her saying I'm a lost without him. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly, I mean, I bet you have too. Like, I have felt that, right? Like, I yeah. literally don't know how to function in my life now because I built up this whole idea of a future that was woven together with this person and sort of taking out all that stitching is really difficult and it's harder i think the first time it happened because you don't have any experience yeah absolutely it's like you've you've it's like together you've done all these you've shared all these experiences experiences and had all these intimate moments and you've gone in some journey like a, like to use an analogy like you've gone you've gone you're putting yourself in this sort of like a, a boat and you've taken off to sea together and then all of a sudden he jumps ship quite you know abruptly in this case and then you're quite literally maybe feeling like in the middle of the ocean and and wondering if he's going to kind of swim back or whatever it is and and that's how I can sort of envision feeling like lost like that it can feel really like where do I go how do I go how do I how do I drive this this boat, but, you know, and eventually, you know, when, when, you know, as kind of healing goes on and, and, and time goes on, you know, you'll be, you'll be riding that boat right along. You'll be like, I think, I think I'll try off, you know, I think I'll try it off in this direction or, you know, um, I think land might be over here or I'm going to just enjoy this feeling of being kind of at sea and the wind in my hair, whatever it may be. Uh, and it's a great opportunity to learn that you can steer your own boat by yourself. Totally. Yeah, but it doesn't probably doesn't feel like that right now. Yeah, no. Yeah, to that question, that really pointed question, I just want to un- agree with you 100% of, you know, to move on or not, you know, this person has moved on from, from what it sounds like to me. And so, you know, you get to, uh, uh, if you wish t- to look at it as you're making, you're making the choice not to move on, right? Because sometimes it feels like things get done to us and we have to, you know, deal with, you know, the broken pieces in it and not disagreeing with that, but you can say, I'm going to make a choice to, to move from here. Right. And I just want to say, like, based on the information that we have, it does not sound like you did anything wrong. Um, it does not sound like you deserve this kind of treatment in any way. Um, and 
making space for your feelings about how unfair this is, how unfair it is, how it went down, um, I think is also probably a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you together, you decided what made sense for you, what you wanted to do. Um, you know, it sounds like you did, you know, I, I don't, I can't remember if from the letter this person did more than they it sounded like maybe some kind of line was crossed. Was it like the It line? sounded like they did something they hadn't done before, but it didn't sound like she or either of them were uncomfortable with it in the moment. Yeah. But yeah. that it sort of startled them. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I mean, like you deserve, dear writer, you know, you just, you deserve somebody to at least step up and be there and say, look, at the very least, look, that was, that weirded me out. I, you know, I I feel really uncomfortable now. I I'm, I'm going to have to like take a breather or I, I totally need to move on. Like nobody ever deserves to be left hanging. We right, all, that basic respectful communication. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We all deserve at least some kind of you know moment for the, the the opportunity for closure or at least information with somebody that you've shared that you've had experiences with. And I would say I think I want to add one more thing which is like if there's an inclination somewhere in there to get mad because you were done wrong by like i'd give that impulse a little energy like it can also feel really cathartic to get mad oh yeah um is great for that who else is great um oh i'm blanking i have a i have a playlist oh maybe i'll tweet that out but um or send it to me and i can put it in the show notes at yesmeansyesshow.com Great. I, you know, it's basic, but I'm old school. So my, my playlist is going to include a lot of disco. Let's just be real. Oh, hey. <laughs> it's a classic for a reason. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I guess I would also, I would just say, like, it sounds like this is your first real heartbreak. Mm. Um, please know that people survive this. That it's survivable. Um, <laughs> I feel like we're literally should be playing I Will Survive right now. Um yeah. But, you know, there are songs about this for a reason. It's near universal and it's survivable. It doesn't make it suck any less. Um, but it, you don't necessarily know that because you haven't been through it before. Um, so I want to try and hold that space for you. Yeah. Um, oh, I know the song. I know the song that I go to, my go-to. Yeah. It's called Be Okay by Crisette Michelle. And it uh, features Will I Am. Okay. We will put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can all rock out to it. Yeah. In addition, the the, the playlist um, is it is called "I Will Survive," and it starts off with the Cela Cruz um, Spanish version of "I Will Survive," which is called "Yo Vivere." And depending Ooh. on what this person likes, it's 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 a winner. Like it's it's. I, I almost said it's better than the Gloria Gaynor version, but I feel like that could upset like some disco. Yeah, let's not court controversy here. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> Everyone can like what they like. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so our hearts go out to you. We hear that you're not okay right now, and that's real. And I definitely, and I suspect Francisco, you do believe that you will be okay. Yeah. Yeah, you will. Yeah. Well, you know, asking the question, processing through this, that's that's the, you're doing, not that there's a right and wrong, but you're doing a really, in my opinion, a right thing, I guess. You know, yeah. that's, that's a healthy thing to be feeling what you're feeling right now and to be reaching out to somebody. You win lots of gold stars. Yes, all the gold stars. Yeah. 
Francisco, I could talk to you forever. Me too. Um, this has been amazing. Like, seriously, one of my favorite episodes. Oh, thank you. I uh, I would love to have you on the, the bench sometime. So, so let me know anytime. We will make that happen for sure. And then I will also tell all of you all, my fine listeners, about it when that happens. In the meantime, how can people follow you online, Francisco? Sure. Uh, my first name is Francisco. My last name is Ramirez. R-A-M-I-R-E-Z-Z-Z-Z. Are you Canadian? No, at the UN, I get used to, to writing programs oh. <laughs> and saying Z instead of Z. Uh, sorry. Uh, Francisco Ramirez, so you can find me at that.com, FranciscoRamirez.com, and Twitter at FranciscoNYC, and Facebook, FranciscoNYC also. And if they follow your Twitter, they can, and if they're in New York, they can find out where you might be if they want some free sex advice. Totes, Yes. Excellent. And folks can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F. Ugh, I can spell my own name. J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. Um, you can also find me on my website, which is JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Uh, you can find the show notes for this and all of our past shows at YesMeansYesShow.com. Um, please email me with advice questions for myself and a future guest. Uh, see how nice and loving we are we would love to help you out uh, you can also send me ideas for future guests or future show topics that you'd like to hear me and, and some other folks get into you can email, email me at ymy at jacquelinefriedman.com you can also email me your response to the amazing listener question we have today which is what or who do you need to cut from your life in order to more fully experience sexual pleasure did I get that right um, what did I write? A more holy. That wasn't quite right. Uh, I have a right here. To more wholly embrace your sexuality. To more wholly embrace your sexuality. That's a better question than what I just said. So you can email that to me at ymy at com. You can also please chat with each other and us about it on Twitter using the hashtag YMY. That is all we have for you this week. Until next time, we are wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Ciao. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.